Welcome to the Signal Line Remote Viewing Podcast, a podcast owned and run by Daz Smith from RemoteViewed.com, the resource for everything remote viewing. This podcast is dedicated to sharing remote viewing related interviews, views, news, resources, and much more. Hi, I'm Daz Smith and this is Signal Line. Today's podcast is an open remote viewing discussion on October 1st, 2021. Lots of interesting topics were covered. Hope you enjoyed the show. Take care. Excellent. Well, welcome everyone. We got a good crowd in this evening. Um, we'll just go over the rules quickly for the people that haven't been here before. I think I see some names there I don't recognize. Um, so feel free to ask questions by putting your hand up, you know, using the per, uh, reactions button at the bottom. Um, we're just going to have a general chat tonight. Uh, or if you don't really want to say anything on camera, feel free to also type something in the chat window and myself or someone else will pick that up hopefully and ask that for you. So it's just a general chat just to say hello to everyone again because it's been a couple of weeks since we last chatted. Just to see if anyone wants to share anything or if they've got any questions to ask any of the people here or just a general, you know, RV chit chat really. Um, so yeah, let's just take it away. I know I know Don's probably got a lot to say because he went to the Irva conference. Uh, yeah, I, I did. And uh, actually, um, I was going to talk about... Um, Des, I don't know if you saw that volcano hit that I got. And I, if you wanted to, sh can you share the screen and I can show this thing on my Facebook? You should be able to share it, Don, anyway. Yeah, let me try it. Share screen, yeah. Okay, here we go. Okay, so here's my Facebook page. So Mark Turner in the um, Rhine Remote Viewing Practice Group had a premonition on Wednesday about this Cumbra Vieja volcano that, um, you know, he, he was talking about, you know, he had this premonition like he needed to pack a go bag, a go bag. I didn't, I never even heard about that, but it's like something you grab in, in an emergency that's got like some money and some like clothing and whatever, because you need to get out fast. And uh, for some reason, uh, he, he knew about this volcano, I think from his uh, uh, time with the Navy. And so uh, he assigned this as a target, you know, and I got stuff like upward movement and curving, turning and smoke emitted and isolated. And the full session is here. My Facebook is all public, so you can just go take a look at it. Was it like only a half an hour thing, but like was talking about smoke going way up in the air and something coming down and, and then creating some sort of like uh, structures. And um, and then thanks for listening later, to the signal line, the a remote viewing podcast. Don't forget so to check out remoteviewed.com like, for remote viewing resources or our videos on YouTube under remote viewed. Accidentally did it, so I was like pretty enthusiastic about this. And um, the other thing was uh, on a completely separate note, Mark was on a um, a podcast. And at the beginning of the podcast, he held up a bag and he said, you know, for those remote viewers, we're going to be talking about remote viewing. And if anybody wants to do a remote viewing session about what's in the bag, um, you can. 
so I did this session and it, again, it was like, you know, fast and furious, but at the end of my session, having no clue what this thing was, I just scribbled as a sketch these two things and I have to say that looks like a hand and that sort of looks like something around so this was like done in two seconds or less these things and I thought that was pretty amazing so um, anyway back back to uh, this this you Daz. yeah thanks for that Don great for sharing how did you feel when you got the volcano hit then I don't know I uh, I was like maybe a little worried because there was this um, um, scientific study done that said part of the volcano was some sort of a wedge-shaped um, thing of Earth, which if it shook hard enough was going to slide into the Atlantic Ocean, creating a tidal wave that was going to hit the East Coast of the United States yep. um, on the East Coast. So. Like uh, my sister-in-law was like, you know, what do we do? You know, she's like, Don got another hit, you know, oh no. So, uh, um, you know, I'm sort, sort of glad that didn't happen. Really glad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because we got uh, ourselves at CryptoView, and uh, I think we discussed this in a pre in the last program or something. We we had similar data We because we were all getting mushroom cloud type uh data in our rv sessions so we think now that the month's over we think that was most probably the what we what we were getting as well and you um, didn't get any tidal waves right um i didn't get any t tidal wave exactly but the magnitude of data that i uh reported in my rv session and in some of the others was significantly more than has happened right now mm -hmm. uh, in the past, when I've done RV sessions and they've been predictive for catastrophic events, when the events happen, the data in the RV has always been of a magnitude higher than the actual event that happens. But at the same time, I kind of think to myself, there might be that one chance one day that it it won't be. So I'm still I, I <laughs> oh I'm God. still keeping an eye on the volcano thing to be honest. And on YouTube, there are about twenty live feeds of it that go twenty four hours a day. So it's easy it's easy to see what's happening there. Um, it's not over yet though, because they think it might go on for three or four months, I believe. Oh my God! Yeah. So, Can I just yeah, there's something? actually. Yeah. I just am following. There's a guy on YouTube. He's so cool. His name is Bushcraft Bear. And he says there's no talk about a tsunami at this point. Like, really, they're not even leaving the island. He said that it was a bit of hype that they even posted that about people trying to leave because they were just getting on a ferry to go to another island, you know? So they've, um, the level of danger from the tsunami is, I don't think, really imminent personally. Well, that's what I heard. And I certainly hope not. In yeah. fact, when I saw that the, the lava was starting to hit the ocean and just pour itself into the ocean, mm -hmm. I breathed a sigh of relief because that is, I think, cementing that loose wedge of of earth of the mountain or whatever down and i and i'm hoping it's just gonna keep yeah. it planted there we can hope uh but you know uh i don't know if you know this but gail Husick's group two years ago did a project as well and they saw and they put out a statement two years ago saying that they saw a uh 
a volcano eruption in the area that would uh, cause us to tsunami as well. Mm. So there's still a possibility, perhaps. Uh, yeah, with, you know, with all these things, you know, everyone got you've got to keep an open mind, but you know, don't take it to the excess. You know, use common sense in you know because RV needs to be used with other information. You need to have your common sense head on when you're looking at all of this, really. But you know, I would I would keep a slight open mind until until we know it's all quieted down. And you know, the other volcano that's just happened in Hawaii as well, literally a day ago. I don't know if you picked up on that one as well, but that one that one's going quite well at the moment. Just just keep an open mind. I mean, I was on um, Project Camelot two nights ago um, with Kerry Cassidy um, talking about the volcano eruption and, and our data that we got in RV. I didn't want to go on at first, but she badgered me and she was starting to put some stuff out there uh, which I thought were a, was a bit doom-mongering. So I, I agreed to go on in the end to try to, to take that down a little bit. Um, and she did send me some private emails afterwards that had been sent to her uh, by alleged geologist people um and i can't confirm any of the emails and i can't pass them on to you guys but all i can tell you is that if the credentials of the geologists are true then some geologists out there with high up credentials are quite worried about what's happening Uh, but i I can't verify any of the stuff but it looked all uh the credentials and what they were saying looked quite um official and proper and and knowledgeable to me in what the, you know, what what they were sending to Kerry, and then Kerry passed on to me. That's all I can. That's all I can add to it. Really, is I'm not sure anything's going to happen. I don't. I doubt if anything will. But at the same time, I'm keeping a slight open mind. Well, that and, sounds a bit like the uh, Courtney Brown, Hall, Halle Bopp comet. You know, there was an astronomer, an anonymous source with a photo that nobody ever saw, and it was. It could quite possibly be. That's why I'm saying just, just you know use your use your use your brain when you're making these kind of analysis really but yeah just keep an open mind but you know don't don't take things to the excess especially not based on rv data not on that alone so des suppose um you know somebody said well can you go figure out now whether there's going to be a tidal wave or not can you remote view that I mean, would you even entertain doing a front-loaded session like that? No, no, it's too much. It's too noisy. I mean, it's a shame I can't get out of uh, Dick and that and get them on right now because literally two days ago or, or last week, so us at CryptoVin, we had to do the uh, the remote viewing for uh, October's top news events. Uh, I did mine literally the last day of the month, so that what, what a day and a half ago, two days ago. Um it was incredibly hard though because I had all you know just in interviews about the volcano sessions from from last month, volcano stuff news. I get emails sent to me on all types of conspiracies and projects. So to try to keep that noise at bay and think to myself, okay, what's the top news going to be in October? Was incredibly noisy. It was incredibly hard to do. And I think Dick and the other guys had the, the exact same problem this month because last month was such high energy with the volcano hitting everything. It's very hard to keep a level head and not go off on flights of flights of fancy, really. So, and there's hard. no point in like asking somebody to create the target for you, and then they give you the target. You know what it is, right? That's just a waste of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just you know, whenever you're looking at the at the news anyway, a month or so ahead, it's always slightly noisy because you know everyone knows what you know. Like when we were trying to do all the news events. 
uh, throughout the entire COVID period. It was obvious that we were all looking at news every day to see what was happening with COVID, and that that would interfere with what we were getting RV-wise as well. So any new, noisy news period and then trying to predict on top of that is incredibly hard to do. Yeah. It's really hard to you know get your mind away from your your imagination. Does it does it scare you a little bit that you have to do these um, month in advance things? No, I quite I quite like doing them. Um, and you know I'm honest as well. Like when I went on the radio show with, with Kerry, she was hyping it all up, and I was you know I was being honest with everyone, telling everyone the stats. You know I know that my accuracy on on news predictions is only sixty five percent because it's looking looking at the future. I mean, 65%'s not, not bad. It means, you know, because I usually do about 10 predictions a month. So it means out of every, every month, six and a half, roughly, out of every 10 of my predictions come come correct, which is, you know, I'm fairly pleased with that as a rate. But there again, you know, it is 10, 20 or plus percent less than my, my standard RV kind of hit rate. So mm. I have to bear that in mind as well, you know. And, and I know from my own data that when I do catastrophic events... Uh, magnitude in the rv seems to be more inflated than what actually happens the majority of the time but when you when you try to tell that to people that want to put out conspiracy theories and and stuff like that you know because they have their own agendas then they don't want to believe that's what you're what you're (laughs) trying to say to them but good uh, good show uh, doing it the last day before the beginning of the month right i mean that yeah. the closer you get to the actual time the better yeah. your chances right that is i think so yeah yeah you've got more chances of being accurate i think okay yeah but you know it's it's a noisy time you know it's always if the last year, year two years has been a very noisy time for trying to do any kind of news type predictions because because of the pandemic because of the you know the effect on the stock markets and all that kind of stuff it's it's very hard yeah but you know everyone should give it a go it's worthwhile trying to do and you know try to record your sessions uh there are several places online where you can uh record your predictions as well and you know so you can validate them at some point so that is like a kind of front-loaded target right you're going to do the every the month i'm front-loaded month. i know i'm looking at the news yeah okay and then i kind of just pick what i want to do and it's just from intuition really i do try to say to myself you know i have set ones like top global new top global worldwide news for october um and then i usually do you know because we have in crypto and we have people that are interested in markets i do the top financial news global financial news as well and then i try to do the top uh global cryptocurrency news so I have set ones that I do. On the odd occasion, I try to see what's happening in, in the UK or in Europe. Sometimes I look at other things. And sometimes, you know, because it's all a bit, because news stories are generally pretty uh, pretty negative because you never really get positive stuff reported in news. I do, on the odd occasion when I remember, set myself a top positive news story. <laughs> just to see if I can pick up anything anything nice to, to break the, the sadness. Good for you. But I don't, yeah, that's only when I think about it. But yeah, so we are working front-loaded on, on all those. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm willing to give it a try. I, I think I'm going to give that a try. But honestly, after the volcano thing, I'm a little worried about it. Um, yeah, maybe we I, could do a group one, get some of the people here to put, one, to put it together. Uh, maybe have a look at the news... Because we're a bit late now for October. Maybe if we say, if we do a 
a Friday night chat group, look at the or see if we can look at the news for November and we can discuss it on the first week of November or something in the chat meeting and put all the sessions online in the Facebook group. I count me in. Love it. I'd like to do that. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yes. And let me I better write this down, otherwise I'll forget this though. <laughs> so I'll put an I'll put a notice up on the Facebook group tomorrow as well, just to remind people. Uh, and and put the parameters there, and then yeah. So we'll all do the session. Maybe try to do your sessions. I'll put all the details on Facebook. If you try to do your sessions in in, in the last week of of October, um, we'll find a place where we can put them online. Maybe on I'll, I'll create a public Dropbox photo or something like that. Everyone can dump their sessions in there, um, and then we can chat about it. What everyone's got on the first week of uh of the first Daz chat thing on a. You know, on the Friday of the uh, November, and see what we get. Put something in your notice that you're not supposed to like put your sessions right up there on the on the. Yeah, no, no one should post them directly on Facebook or or yeah, even exactly. say anything on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, oh, that could be fun. You know, this reminds get. me when I was at the IRVA conference. We had a game night uh, one night, and one of the games was a team remote viewing thing where we had a whiteboard and everybody in your team could put anything they wanted up on the board so i was like doing the usual s2 type stuff but other people were like drawing pictures and doodles and whatever that was a lot of fun Ah, it was great so you know these things you know they can be used for entertainment so while we're on, Don, talking about Irva Conference, how did how did that go? Uh, give us give us a summary. Uh, were, were there many people in attendance? And yeah, so okay, so uh, sort of like just a stream of consciousness here. I arrived um, the Wednesday before the first meeting day. Thursday, what was it? Uh, Thursday, Friday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, Friday. So I arrived Thursday. In the rain, the place looked like, you know, wet wilderness. I was like, oh, this is going to be bad. You know, I'm walking around and, uh, you know, the trees are soaking wet and I have to walk up a big hill and find a cabin that's cold. And, you know, I was like terrible. So then the next day, the sun was out. It was bright. I, the place looked beautiful. I couldn't believe the transition. You know, I was like, oh my God, this is actually pretty nice. So, you know, we're going to breakfast and, you know, at breakfast, I'm looking, is, is that Tom McNear over there? And then I'm looking over here. Is, is that Paul Smith over here? And like, you know, my my first reaction was put down your tray and get some pictures. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> So I did that and, uh, you know, and then shake their hands and, you know, then, you know, oh, you want to sit and have breakfast with us? Kind of a, you know, let's sit, sit, oh, come on, Don, sit down here. So I was like, uh, you know, I was talking with these guys and, uh, you know, like it's, you have to control yourself, right? Because like you just want to babble on and on about questions about remote viewing, but at the same time, you're trying to be social and everybody else is like, you know, talking about their families and whatever. So I'm trying to like, okay, you know, I've got to keep my cool here. All right. You know, <laughs> I'm playing the game here. <clears throat> so then we go down to the, um, 
I don't know, the auditorium or whatever you would call that, the meeting room place. And there's Pam Coronado. She's another famous, she's a psychic detective and I've taken classes with her as well. So, you know, I went through the photo thing. Let's get some photos. And then they gave, um, uh, let's see, an introductory uh, talk about um, ERV. Now, that's something a lot of people don't talk about in terms of, you know, how it's done and whatever. And they were. It was Bill Ray and, and Pam. And, uh, you know, Des, I don't know if there's anybody, does anybody actually teach ERV or, you know, is it? I, I think David Morehouse does. Um, I'm not sure if Brett does. Um, there were several others that do. Angela Ford, who we had on, who's an ex-Stargate viewer, she teaches a form of ERV as well. John so Haloski does as well. Who? John Haloski. You had him on. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know he was a teacher. Okay. So uh, anyway, I thought that was really interesting, and that like piqued my interest because I was thinking like, oh, if somebody is offering this thing, I'd really like to get into this. Pam was talking about um, doing three-hour sessions when she does her psychic detective stuff. And I remember her telling me stories about how she would find herself at a location and she thought it was kind of strange because there were a bunch of beer bottles all piled up on the side of the road. And, um, and then uh, after the session, she has a monitor. And uh, after the, the session, um, she does the field work with the uh, detectives and the police. She'll actually go to locations. And she, they were driving by a location, and she saw the beer bottles. Now, this is really, this is where it stands out in my mind. Apparently, in ERV, you actually see. Um, and she said she remembered the beer bottles from her session and she stopped and, uh, they got out and they traipsed around with the, the, uh, the dogs and they, they picked up the, the scent and they, they, they closed the case. They found the, the, the perpetrator. It was amazing. Um, so if that isn't enough to want to make you learn this ERV thing, you know, I don't know what would, but, um, it was only I liked it too, Donna. It was, I mean, because that stuff's all in the archives, but to hear them bringing it out, you know, was really good. Yeah, I, I was, um, Daz, did you ever have any like ERV or bi location things where you actually saw what you were remote viewing? Uh, I've never done ERV, um, and in a normal RV, um, I do see, but not often, and it's it's fast. It's it's like a it's like a quick flash, and then the rest of the time, as I'm drawing it, I'm kind of almost like I tell you what it's like. If you look into a bright light and then look away, you get that after glow of the light. That's that's what I get. So I get a quick flash of the the target, and then as it's fading in the afterlight uh, of my vision, kind of thing. That's when I when I sketch it. So that's how it that's how it appears to me i mean other, other people might, might be different on that i'm surprised because if i have a vision like that my mind instantly starts warping it into something that it likes or knows about so i might see something for just a moment and then all of a sudden it starts transforming and god only knows what i could possibly report at that stage 
I mean, it might be something to do with everyone's makeup and, you know, what you do as jobs and stuff. I mean, you know, my entire life has been uh, doing art and creative stuff like that. So, so you know, taking an idea that I quickly see as a glimpse in my head or in my imagination and then transferring that into a graphic form has always been uh, fairly easy because that's what, that's what I've spent, you know, my entire 40-year career doing, really. So, uh, well, anyway, get moving on. Uh, the next speaker that really caught my attention was Tom McNear's keynote speech about Mars. And that was, um, that was just delightful. Uh, what he had done was he talked about Ingo wanted, he, I guess Ingo in the 70s did some remote viewing on the moon and he discovered stuff on the moon and he was surprised by it. And that's all written up in his, uh, his book. Um, but like in the 90s, uh, he decided that he wanted to like try this thing with Mars and he chose a team of five remote viewers, one of which was Tom McNear, uh, Ingo himself and some other people who were undisclosed. And uh, he, um, he sent them, they were living in different parts of the, the country, the world, and he sent them envelopes that said, do not open until, and they all had the exact same moment in time, wherever they were on earth, to open this tasking. He wanted them to all go at the same moment. And uh, so they did. And the first cue, when he uh, revealed to them, they were all on signal, and the first cue was essentially go to Mars. And he was looking, Ingo was looking for something specific. Um, he, you know, when you see a lot of these Martian photos that you see from NASA and whatever, they artificially color the light that's in the photo and it's, it's kind of red. But Ingo apparently knew that the sky, I guess because there's like a lack of moisture in the air or something like that, is actually white. So he was looking, you know, if anybody was going to be reporting blue skies like lakes and, you know, stuff like that, they're off signal. But they were all on signal. So he sent them a secondary and then a third um, tasking. And then what Tom did in his talk was first he reviewed what science tells us about Mars. You know, what will, you know, the red planet, you know, it's dead, you know, it has a little bit of, you know, atmosphere maybe, there's dust storms and whatever, um, uninhabited. It's, there's no face on Mars. No, no, that's, you know, that's just, you know, just a trick of the light. And then, then he talked about his matrix of all the collected remote viewing data, which included Ingo's team and other teams. You know about this, Daz. You're shaking your head. Uh, yeah, I've had the report uh, for for six months or so, and I've I've got all all the other. Uh, we can go. You you carry on. We can go into afterwards. Oh, oh, do you have this thing? It'd be wonderful to pull it up if you if you do. Uh, I have the video, and I also have I have Tom's uh, I have Tom's initial uh, Mars report from the from the nineties and stuff. Okay. Wow. Okay. I didn't even know about this. So anyway, yeah. So what he did was I think 17 of the 19 remote viewers saw pyramids on Mars. Uh, a number of them realized that the pyramids were huge, like much larger than the uh, pyramid in Egypt. 
um, they were hollow and they were used as a residence for inclement weather, as I recall. And there was a network of tunnels and other things. And then there was this curious thing about um, life forms, like that kept sort of like fading in and out the way Tom described it. It was sort of like they were there and then they weren't there. You know, were they, were they ghosts? Were they, they, they seemed to be um, real, but incorporeal maybe, not having a body. Um, uh, what was my thought about this? Yeah, I was like, they seemed to be forlorn. They felt left behind. You know, the viewers were talking about these things. And uh, uh, they were like waiting for life to return to Mars. I think that was like one of the statements Tom made. And I asked Tom about this afterwards. Um, I was like, you know, is it possible that like, you know, what we call a soul is, is sort of like stuck to the planet. It's somehow part of the planet and it uses like biology to grow and, and, and advance and uh, experience and whatever. And if you don't have this biology, then you have no opportunities. And, uh, you know, it was just a fascinating thought. Is, is this the data? Yes. Yeah, I'm just showing some of the some of the sketches. Uh, for example, these ones I know from the handwriting are Ingo's sketches of uh, structures on Mars. Wow. I, okay, this is the first time I'm seeing these. Uh, I don't think Tom showed this stuff. Mm -mm, he didn't. Um, I'll show you. Going awfully fast, there, Des. Uh, yeah, I'm getting to Tom's. Tom's is the is is the most detailed uh, sketch there. Is there any way to access this, Des? Not at the moment. I don't think it's public at the moment. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I mean, I can ask him if it can go public. Um, but it's, yeah, it's not public at the moment. Most of the other stuff is, um, but but that one that one isn't, and the uh, the the video isn't as well. Irva members can look at the video of the presentation, but yeah, that's not public either. Hmm. So anyway, those were the two things that really stood out in my mind. I um, I besides the presentations, I had a lot of fun meeting people, the picture taking, you know, with the celebrities, you know, shaking their hands, asking them questions. Oh, I was great. Um, met a lot of uh, very nice people, new friends, new Facebook friends. Um, just loved it. What did you think of his phonetics stage seven presentation? Well, I tried it. Uh, I've never seen that phonetic thing before. That might be like a private thing that he only shows at conferences. I don't know, but um, I did try it. And I can tell you firsthand that I need a lot of practice in that to make that work. So I was uh, really thrilled with it because, uh, I mean, the very, my very first Irvic conference, my very first thing, I didn't know what they were doing. And, you know, I, I didn't even know what remote viewing, but I had been asked to come to this thing and there's an envelope under the table and there, you know, everybody's doing a practice target, right? I said, what are we doing? He said, draw what's in the envelope. And I had words, you know, which is 
basically phonetics, you know, and, you know, just little words like Colorado race I had, and I did draw a little sketch, but it was a Colorado foot race. So to me, what came naturally from the very beginning and all along has been more like auditory, you know, that kind of thing than image, wow. I'm not an image person at all. If I turn away, I don't know what any of you look like, you know, I'm not imagey. So I was really thrilled to hear that, you know, that that avenue didn't get fully explored because I think Cozingo is an artist and most people are visual, but there's that piece that's not researched well yet, but it's there. And I got really excited about that. It was pretty exciting. And so I guess that our auditory, you know, that's our sense, uh, our, you know, how our subconscious communicates with us is maybe a little bit different than visual thinkers. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there, there was a couple of points that I do remember offhand that I think I can safely say here. And that is, uh, Tom was making the point that sounds that you hear at the target location are in one category, and that is not phonetics. Phonetics is a different category. Yeah. So uh, he brought up uh, as an example, I think it was a Paul Smith session where he tried to use this um, thing, but actually he was just indicating sounds that he heard at the site. Yeah, and he called it knowing, which is what, you know, that totally, I mean, I didn't hear sounds, Colorado, you know, it is like a knowing, and he he tried to define that for people in the talk, that it's a different, it's like it comes in words or syllables or, you know, phonics, but it's not hearing in the same way. They're two, it, yeah. Yeah, that, I forgot about that knowing part. That's right. He did make a point about that. Yeah, and that's um, what it's like, and that's, to me, like, that's our, that's, the natural mode, you know, so, and I know there's a few others that are like that. Then there was, uh, there was, there was another thing. Yeah. Okay. The two other points. One was you have to cue yourself for this. And I, he was actually scrolling past a, a remote viewing session and where he started the phonetics written at the top of the page was name question mark. And yeah, I quickly wrote that down in my notes. Okay. Name question mark. And then what he started listing after that was nothing but phonetics, pH dash, okay. uh, CH dash, you know, and then sometimes these would like come together and he was starting to like, you know, getting clusters maybe, you know, these were like a pool of things that maybe were going to come together somehow. So, uh, that's sort of like what I remember from that talk. It was an amazing talk. It really was really, really good. If any, if they, when they put them, maybe they have already to like grant or view, I, I recommend it because it adds. I mean, we've got such a body of knowledge for the, you know, the visual the CRV like Ingo taught, but this piece of it, I think is, um, there's lots of room for exploring it yeah. for anybody interested. I would agree. All right, I'm back to you, Des. Yeah, thanks. Can, uh, can I Don? can I add something to this, please? Yeah, go for it. But I have I have had a, a, a target like two weeks or three weeks ago, uh, from a friend, and uh, the target was um, about the NFT, the the uh, the arts, the 
which are making the, the scavenger, the, the wow, Jesus, the NFT collectors and NFT collections. Yep. And uh, down on the road, I have um, a drawing because I, I, I sense of blocking and I sense chain. So I, I drew a chain and uh, I, I, wore, I write the word block before the, that. And I'm wonder because I don't know, but I'm wonder if this is kind of um, S7 or is something else because uh, somehow it's re- it was related to NFT, of course, and blockchains. And I don't know if, if it was related or not on this. I don't know, but I'm wonder. I think the fo- phonetics are a bit like how they teach in schools nowadays where they get the the children to break down the words you know the, the oh. oh in pieces yeah okay. into pieces yeah. to make the, yeah. to make yeah. to make the words okay. um but yeah uh, what dimmy was saying then was uh was correct for and not many of you probably know about nfts but nfts are called non-fungible tokens and it's essentially where artists uh and digital artists mainly now but any kind of artist they create their artwork and then they get it recorded on what's called the crypto uh, blockchain um, technology, and then it's recorded there for all time. And any transaction or any information that ever happens about that piece of art is encoded in in what they call the blockchain for anyone ever to see. Um, but the good thing about NFTs as well is that any artist that puts anything out there as an NFT, as these artworks are sold on the secondhand market, because all the data is encoded on the blockchain, they also can set and get a set percentage of every sale that ever happens of their artwork for the, until the end of time. So it's it's really good technology. But yeah, it sounds like Dimmy got that quite well when she was trying to describe the artwork and she actually got the words blockchain because it only exists because of the technology of, of blockchains. Wow. Yeah, so that, that would have been a great hit, Dimmy. Have you ever um, thought about selling any of your remote viewing work as an NFT does? Uh, I just as a just as a muck around as a play, I did put some of my photography on there, but that was literally just as a as a test, and I put it at a stupid you know stupid price because I didn't really want to sell it at like tens of thousands of dollars. Okay. I haven't I haven't done RV stuff, but I know um, I think Edward or Niam from Crypto Viewing is uh, encoding all of their RV sessions on the blockchain, so that means it's recorded there, perpetual. Uh, and yeah, you know it can't it can't be fraud it can't be fraud or anything. All the information about when the RV was done is is there encoded in the system. Uh, so they're playing around with it. I mean, not so much, but it would be a good place for 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 example for predictions to put your predictions up. Everyone would have access to it. It's uh, yeah, it'd be globally accessible, uh, and it can't be frauded in any way as well. So that would be good. I'd love to see your uh, your Beirut uh, session. Uh, you know, flip for auction. That was maybe, maybe. I the thing is, I don't really do it on paper anymore. I I have a couple of boxes here, archive boxes of paper RV sessions. I wonder what they do. I was just gonna, I don't know, either destroy them or just chat the whole lot as a big box on on eBay or something, saying anyone want to buy a couple of hundred remote viewing sessions <laughs> just to get them out of the house because my my missus is getting fed up with them being here. <laughs> But to carry on from what Don was talking about as well, he was talking about Tom McNair's presentation. I, I saw the present. I wasn't there, but I saw the presentation on video, and uh, Tom presented uh, a little bit of Ingo stuff as well that that I gave him that I've been researching for a year now, 
uh, and it's on a remote viewing session that Ingo did in in the 90s. He did some work that carried on from the penetration book, and he essentially went back to the moon uh, several times, RV-wise. Uh, Tom presented some of that, um, and I can show you the screen here of the next eight martinis, which is going through editing at the moment, should be out in a couple of weeks. And essentially, the whole issue is going to be uh, Ingo's uh, today unpublished moon stuff and wow. a couple of his articles as well. So this is the cover for it at the moment. Uh, and that, the sketches, I don't know if you can see the sketches there very well, um, but they are actually Ingo uh, sketches there. I might be able to get them a bit more detail for you. Bear with me a sec. There's several articles in here. Uh, it's all Ingo's work, essentially, in the in the whole issue. Um, where are the where are this? Uh, yeah, here's the actual. If you can see them here, the, these are the actual. Oh, I hate this. They're the actual sketches from that he did for Penetration. Uh, actually, they're on paper, so you'll be able to see those in the magazine. Hmm. Uh, and then it's as I said, it's got a transcript of of his whole RV session he did when he went back to the moon in 1999, and uh, he essentially in this whole transcript here. So it's a it's a transcript of a tape recorded Ingo remote viewing session, never before been published, where he talks about um, essentially having conversations with two different sets of telepaths on the moon. Uh, one set is is there for defensive reasons and one set is there for offensive reasons. And he goes into detail how long they've been there. You know, they're on a 40,000 year uh, kind of cross the galaxy kind of attempt, you know, because their planet or something that had problems. It's quite complex stuff, um, but very interesting. And that should be out in several weeks, hopefully, as well. So... Was that... Um, Ingo's... Uh... My memory, I'm getting old, but was it Ingo's Mars or um, McNear's Mars or Ingo's Moon where it was like the consciousness were projected? They weren't quite there. Was it uh, that was the moon. That uh, yeah, Mars. That was, that was Mars, the Mars yeah. talk. So the yeah. moon, Ingo really felt they were there physically. Yeah, he felt they were. I mean, he details it in, in, the, in the transcript that they were... Uh, they were physical because he talks about how they are, um, but they could be non-physical at the same time because they could, they could. One of the guys he wanted to talk to had to be transported from the other side of the moon to where he was. Kind yeah, of, like there was a gatekeeper thing, wasn't there in Ingo's? There was something like that. Yes, it's because they had these telepaths that if they didn't like you and if you weren't invited, yeah. they could essentially. Um, I don't okay. know, find some way to boot you off, which was kind of interesting. That's where <laughs> I was getting at. It was like a non-physical thing. Yeah, okay. but Ingo does go into great detail about how these these uh, alien telepaths are led down in these like hibernation-type sleeping chambers and how the, uh, they had right. these big metal plates in their heads and, and all kinds of stuff like that. But it will right. be out very soon, so you'll be able to have a look at that. The transcript, thanks, Des. Okay, so moving on from Irvin, and does anyone there have any questions? Because no one has their hands up at the moment. Or I haven't looked at the chat. What's in the chat window? Well, I have another question if no one is. Yeah, go for it, Don. Okay, so um, this came about when I was doing a remote viewing session, and uh, it seemed like the more number of pages I was doing in my session, the more it seemed like I kind of knew what, 
the session was talking about, and that started to bother me because you want to stay blind. So um, I was asking uh, Angela Ford about this. Um, you know, how many pages do you do? And she was saying something. She gave me a very quick answer, like anything more than 10 is an AOL generator. And well, I know I've done more than 10 in my session. In fact, depending on how you sketch, you can easily eat, eat up a whole bunch of pages. Um, you know, do you have one sketch per page or multiple sketches on a page or whatever? But I guess the question I'm trying to pose here is how do you control the growing need to turn everything you get as you go more and more and more into your session, how do you control that so that you don't go away oh well? you have any ideas on that, Daz, or anyone, really? Well, for me, it's just the CRV structure. You know, you don't, because it's all about describing, not naming. So the structure is keeping you from sort of escalating in your mind. Yeah. I mean, you do, you know, after... 10 15 pages you are building up a kind of idea of what you think their target might be but you have to be careful as well you know many times when i've done an rv session and i think i know what the target is on feedback uh, i was completely off but the target data is actually on um so you you know it is a constant battle that you have to fight with yourself to to not um make it something um, but you do, you know, you, you because you are opening an aperture, you are building up all these impressions, layer upon layer. You are kind of building something in your head of what you think the target is. All right. So let me just ask you point blank. Do you get symbolic representations of the target when you remove view? Um, not in CRV, but I add this extra stage on top of it sometimes, which I call freeform. Um, and so I do my CRV session or whatever I do. Then I do a page at the back and I just write free or free form. And then I just allow my mind to, for a couple of pages, to just express whatever it wants. And some of that data, because it's, cause it's got no structure to it, it's just me writing sketches or just doing words that just pop into my head. Some of that can be a little bit symbolic. Um, but that's not official CR. That's not official CRV. That's just me emptying the kind of emptying the drain right at the end of the RV session kind of thing, really. Okay, all right. But never, just... uh, never in CRV do I get anything symbolic. Can I okay. can I try to just address that question a little differently because that's fabulous information. Um, but like I'm in the learning stage and I am a person who loves to be in the learning stage. And like, I was remembering when I was doing tarot cards and I was learning that I was doing a lot of tarot card readings and I wasn't seeming to make any progress because I was getting the same reading. And, um, I find as a learner that possibly we get too much into the learning process and we overdo it at least i do i go i go nuts at the initiation stage and i do too much and sometimes taking a break kind of refreshes you just from taking a break you don't need anything else but to get away and let the dust settle 
And then when you come back, it's like sometimes insights have solidified and you'll make a sort of quantum leap in your understanding. Whereas if you had just kept going and repeating, you wouldn't have made that like um, progress. So it seems to me like, for me, it's like a balance between, you know, full on and then pull back and take a breather and with remote viewing I'm being really careful because it's it's hard work it takes a lot of energy and I'm I don't want to do all that work I want to learn as quickly as I can with as least work as possible so I've made a few attempts you know to do some big readings and I've I don't know I feel like I've been moderate moderately successful and now i'm stepping back and i'm looking more again at all of the different aspects of the method and uh taking a big breather and i find that helps me well one of the biggest things like a revelation when i started taking the crv course was this notion of taking an extended break uh like an aol drive break where you know you got this thing in your head it's not going out of your mind you can't get rid of it out of your mind time management enters into crv i never thought of it as time management okay you have to up- apply time into this process in order to let this thing cool off yeah. that was a that was a huge revelation it really works um, uh, last month when i did the uh the mushroom crowd rv session uh it was so clear in my head that i or i couldn't get any other data for other than mushroom crag for like about 10 pages um so i stopped the rv session i was like this is just ridiculous you know i can't get anything i can't get this out of my head so i stopped it then essentially taking a break and then uh took a two-day break and didn't come back for it for two days and then redid the rv session uh, but you know the uh, Russian cry data came back in the in the second. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's rough. Yeah, but you know, but you know, it ended up being true in the end. You know, a, a, a good prediction. But yeah, I took it in that instance. I took a two day break. It was just like it was so strong. I just literally, you know, and you do in CRV, you write confusion break or break on the on the paper and go yeah. go away for as long as you feel you had to. In that case, I felt I needed two days because it was just so strong as an image in my head that I needed to get away from it. So this flew in the face of um, some stuff I guess I picked up initially when I joined the Facebook group where people wanted to do their sessions as fast and madly as possible. Uh, Ideograms that were nothing but a line because they drew the same line every single time. And um, this is like, whoa, you know, there is time in this process you need to use time you have to you know how to apply it into your session so that was a pretty big thing for me sometimes the uh the ideogram fast thing is good like at the moment i'm doing an experiment some of the people here are, are working on with me where i'm trying to use ideograms for arv work so essentially you know i'm asking the remote viewer just just to do f- free ideograms that's all i need and then, and then i'm taking I'm playing I'm playing with the ideograms in different ways of analyzing them but like for example this month's one was to see if you know if their ideogram was going more up or more down then that would predict whether the target would go more up and more, or more down in the feedback that I would give them so in those cases the remote viewer should be spending 
probably less than a minute doing the RV session that I need is as as the analyst for doing that. So that in that case, it is really fast, uh, and it's good for that kind of work. But for proper, you know, really detailed, specific information that a client or someone wants for a target, yeah, it's it's about time. You have to put in the time, and sometimes you get confused and you need a break. And it could be an hour break or it could be a day or two break. You just have to allow that. You know, this business about uh, ideograms and how you uh, how you draw them, a couple of things come to mind that I'd like to mention. One was just uh, a post I put on Facebook and I said, ideogram game. You know, think of a word, put your hand on a piece of paper, and while you're thinking of it, just doodle and see what comes out. No more than like three quarters of a second. And I was getting some pretty interesting, like symbolic representations of what I was thinking about doing this. This was so fascinating. I actually published this little, you know, doodle set on my Facebook group. And a couple of artists gave it a try. And some of theirs were even better than mine. I was really amazed. So um, the second thing that comes to mind was I was doing some practice sessions in Angela's training course. And in one case, my uh, ideogram looked like, it's kind of like a pie symbol drawn in the usual way that you would draw a pie, you know, starting from the bottom, going up, and then coming back down. And then in another session, it was almost like the reverse. It was the pie symbol going down and then coming back up. Well, the one where it was up in the air, they were in an airplane cockpit. And the one where it was written down in the ground was they were in a, um industrial garbage container and it was like the reverse it was like almost, literally the reverse of the same symbol one in the air one in the ground wow excellent Don. yeah and you know i've expressed my opinion on this in the past in in the facebook groups and that you know to great controversy that i believe that you know, from my research as a remote viewer and as a graphic artist, uh, that there exists uh, an ideogram and pictogram language that crosses all boundaries of, you know, human beings, time and existence. You know, it goes back to caveman paintings. Um, some people don't like that, though, and they, yeah, they, they feel that ideograms never or show uh, a graphical representation of the target, you know, and it's always just a random squiggle. But, you know... There's, I think there's room for both approaches and it, you know, like anything within life, uh, you have to find what works for you as a person. I'm a very graphical, arty kind of drawing person. So my ideograms just have that art, you know, artistic symbology. You know, my, my life ideograms look like a little stick man. My structure ideograms look like a little square structure. And, you know, I don't have any instances where they're incorrect. So I, I feel no need to change. I was really mind. surprised to see the emotional reaction to, of course, everybody's a little different. I, you know, when that came up and it was like, these people are going nuts <laughs> that, you know, we're not all clones. I, I, I felt terrible for Dex because yeah, it makes perfect sense, you know? Yeah. And there's, um, there's room for I both no approaches. Problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we uh, don't even all speak English the same way. We've all got our little inflections, our little, you know, how we pronounce any syllable. Everything is. Yeah. And, and yet, like you said, there's commonalities that are going to go through all of the 
You ask you ask any person across the world to draw water in a in a second with a pen, and, and they'll all do they'll all do a wavy line. Yep. And it's the same if you ask anyone to draw a life form in half a second, they'll draw a stick character. Same with a structure, they'll draw a little square, maybe with a little roof on it. We uh, have these common symbols. Well, yeah, except I, I've got to share this because it's just funny. There used to be a game that it came out forever ago, maybe before you're born, called Pictionary. And um, everybody would draw a stick person. But I had a friend who was bulimic. Hers were always round people. <laughs> it was really, it was really uh, something to notice, you know. Uh, yeah. But that was her subconscious, you know, her stick person was this, yeah. Yeah, we're all different, you know. And I think, you know, although CRV and the other ones are, are set methods and structures, I feel that you have to allow some fluidity in there for the individuals in in some way that's why when i teach uh, crv to you know like some of the students are here tonight because i don't have that many um but i allow them to choose how they want to do their radiograms you know they could do it the straight crv approach where it, you don't get any graphical information from the what it looks like or you can use my kind of approach where some sometimes not always uh it, the when you probe it, it is what it looks like so if it looks like water it it is water kind of thing. Not always, but generally so. This brings up the notion of um, ideograms that have multiple gestalts or aspects in them, right? Um, you experience that, right, Daz? Yeah, they change. I mean, sometimes when I'm probing land, it's not land. It's something else. Or sometimes yeah, when I'm probing water. Water like could water. be energy or, yeah. you know, it yeah. could be. They'll feel you just different. have to go with the feeling that. At the moment you're doing it, the feeling you're getting when you're doing it and probing it, that's what you have to go on rather than what it looks like. Exactly, yeah. Have you decided that, okay, this half of the ideogram is water and this half of the ideogram is land. Let me just draw a dotted line in between. I'll do this one first and this one next. Not on a single ideogram, you know, where, where it's a consistent shape. I can see when I do a multiple ideogram, you can see the differences between as it changes from one bit to another. Oh, yeah. So I can see, you know, it might start off with a square bit with an angle and drop down, and then the drop down might go into like a, a human type figure, and then a, then then a squiggle coming off of it might show me that there's emotional energy. So they will look up that it would be just one continuous line with the pen, but I can clearly see a, a demarcation line between between all three of them in 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 my ideogram. Okay, so let me get this right. If is the ideogram kind of like a piece of DNA of the gestalt? Is it like got it all in there? You know, there's aspects of like everything in that ideogram. Everything you'd ever need to know about the target is contained in in your ideogram. It is okay. That's what I was thinking. What too. you're doing with the next hour is you're just and um, you're just unpacking all that information that came in you're, so fast. You're decoding that you can it. Take it in. Yeah, you're decoding it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It came in so fast that you didn't get it and you spend the next hour kind of opening the petals of a flower to get it. Yeah. Yeah, you're unpacking it. But you know, each little pixel, each dot contains the whole too. So yeah. you know, it's a bigger representation than that, but you even in theory could put a dot and you know, your contact point with the target. I relate to that dot theory because what I do is I hold my pen over the ideogram and I just keep moving it around. And like at one particular place, it's almost like that dot. All of a sudden, this 
emotional content will come forth, you know, and I got to start writing it down. Then I move down a little more and then there's something different. It's really amazing. You can do that with people's signatures too. And they, I mean, that's something Ingo mentioned to me once. I mean, everything is, you know, when something's put on paper, you can make contact through that. Um, so it's what Daz is saying of, you know, the image being the pictograph part, I agree with totally, but I also agree with it. You've got to put your pen to it and probe it and feel, yeah. you know, what's coming and what comes when you first do it too. But to keep going back and reprobe, I think yeah. you, you all do that, right? I'm just repeating. Yeah. Yep. Excellent. Well, Erica's had her hand up for a while. We should let her ask her question. Do you want to go ahead, Erica? Oh, thanks. Actually, you just uh, started a very good conversation about the signatures and probing those. I was like, that's pretty cool. Uh, but my original question was, um, if any of you are familiar with the CE5 initiative from Stephen Greer, um, it's not about CE5, it's, it's about actually how it's done. And I tend to think that it is somehow related to remote viewing. Uh, it's not, I don't think it's, he's calling it like that. Um, he's just doing through meditation, but the, uh, how it was described and what I've learned is actually, um, I think it is some sort of remote viewing aspects that are in there. And uh, we had, I mean, this, um, this forum had discussions earlier as to are you actually there or are you just a passive viewer? Um, if you are there, what, like how much of you are there um, and all of those things, what do you think? Um, if, if you know what I'm talking about, the CE5 initiative from Stephen Greer. Anyone want to answer that one? Okay, so the only thing that I know about CE5 is you're supposed to have, have a group of people and a laser that you're going to point in the air, and you're going to use the laser as kind of like uh, an invitation, and also you want to have a receptive attitude. Now, is there anything more to the CE5 that I forgot? Well, they have this whole, um, it's not a methodology, it's uh, meditation, and when when how he described it, I haven't done it, but what I saw from the movies and from his interviews is that it's actual intention going up there. I mean, up there is, I mean, okay, that sounds like remote viewing. You go up there. It's just, it's not like front loading kind of is because, well, you're going up there, you know? And, um, and then the second part, as you said, whenever you, when they show up, um, and you use the lasers uh, to guide them and also guide them in with your mind and show them where you are. So the connection that is made, that sounded like uh, awfully luck, a lot like what I've seen other remote viewers um, experience when they get in contact with some non-celestial um, beings, uh, entities or whatever, or, or even I think when I had some, it's just, uh, it's just odd because there's a connection and it's, it's part of the remote viewing aspect of it. It's similar. Um, and I know that Stephen Greer likes to call it remote viewing, but it's not really remote viewing what he's doing and all the stuff he's doing is, you know, it's, it's, it's also front loaded and, and, uh, and, you know, it's not blind as well at the same time. Um, 
I also say you have to be a bit wary about what you're doing in those those regards as well with the contacting of uh, possible non-human life forms. And I, oh, I'm going to share my screen again here. Um, and again, this is coming out really soon. Um, Ingo wrote two uh, what I call seminal articles on uh, interacting with uh, ETs and extraterrestrials. And it, both of them I'm getting reprinted. They were in Fate magazine in 1992 and 1993. And they are going to be in this magazine uh, that I'm putting out in a couple of weeks. Um, uh, and all I can say is anyone that's interested in the CE5 stuff to read this really, because Ingo goes into uh, why, we, you know, like the words here, like he thinks we've been we've been psychically castrated uh, and not just not just by doing it ourselves, by killing all the uh all the witches and people with their intuitives throughout history, but you know, he thinks that this may have been involved on a level from the ETs uh, getting this done because they don't want us interacting with them on some levels. It's a seminal article, uh, and I recommend everyone should read it really because you should be very cautious about what you're doing when you're interacting with these uh, non-humans because there have been many cases and of people, and you know, I'm dealing or we're dealing with someone on on on, on other forums that are having problems with. Uh, you know, uh, some kind of maybe psychic intrusions and stuff like that. You, uh, there are cases, and even Ingo recorded for a while, that after doing some of his moon stuff, uh, it took him several years to shake off uh, the interaction that was kind of following him back from doing those kind of excursions. So just, I'm just saying, be cautious, really. The articles go into it in a lot more detail. There's two of them in the magazine. Uh, I think they're really important. And as I said, in one of them in 1992, Ingo put out a call. He literally put out a call in Fake Magazine saying to all the psychics in the world at the time, hey, look, we have a problem with ETs, but we can counter them with our kind, with our psychic telepathic technology as well. Uh, and, he, and he invited all the people to write into him at the time and uh, form some kind of cohesive group to do some kind of project to fight back. So just I'm just saying, just be a bit wary about it. Really, it's not really remote viewing, although he's kind of hijacked the name a little bit, and just be Thank very you. wary. Thank you very much for this information. I mean, I haven't tried it. I do not intend to try it. Uh, I was just uh, researching it and looking at it and trying to understand it, what it is. Thank you very much for this information. It's going to be yeah. in the next eight martinis. This. Uh, yes, it's, it should be out in a, in two or three weeks. I just have to get it finally approved by the Ingo Estate and by the editor for any last bit mistakes and stuff like that. Uh, I have something that's sort of ancillarily associated with this, and uh, bear with me on this. I attended a lecture series about, uh, 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 it was a man who was um, in a, a house that was haunted by poltergeists. And uh, these were the usual kinds of uh, poltergeists that would uh, open your uh, kitchen doors and uh, move stuff around and so on and so forth. Uh, they got to be quite um, annoying. They were destroying some things. They were uh, throwing uh, candle wax on walls. Uh, they were making uh, symbolic uh, things on, on walls in his car and so on. Finally, he moved and his big concern when he moved was that they were going to follow him. Well, as it turns out, um, they didn't follow him, but a different kind of manifestation followed him. And this was um, 
uh, he described it as something that seemed to be climbing onto his bed, depressing the mattress down, drawing closer, saying his name, whispering his name. And at first he imagined these, he was a man, he imagined these as uh, beautiful women. But then later on, they became less beautiful until finally they started becoming sort of ugly and smelly. They smelled like garbage. And I had to stop them right there. And I said, okay, you know what? This reminds me of something that I think it was John Vivanco told me about maybe Prue Calabrese or something like that. She was having these ETs come to her house, but they smelled of garbage or dirty diapers, I think was the way he described it. And I said, you know, I'm starting to wonder whether these poltergeists might actually be some sort of like adolescent ETs or something. He thought that was a pretty interesting theory. Um, you know, just thought I would throw that in there um, for whatever it's worth. Yeah, thanks for that, Don. I mean, it's it's well known in you know, abductee kind of literature that um, people that claim experiences with the uh, little grey alien dudes, like Prue, that they have this weird smell about them. And, you know, some of the rumours or not allegations, but some of the details that come out, testimonials and stuff, are that they, they are allegedly, they don't have any, uh, you know, they don't have a mouth kind of eating kind of system like we do as humans, and that they absorb nutrients and, and stuff actually through the skin, and they excrete the waste through the skin as well. So that's that may be why they have a certain kind of uh, possible smell to them, I guess. So wait a minute, that that's very interesting what you just said. They They like absorb by like, physical contact they they would like contact you and like you know pull this they, stuff out of you that's how they eat by absorbing through through their skin and they excrete the waste through their skin as well i mean wow. there's there's stories and I, you know we don't know how true the stories are but there are stories going back to the mid 90s from the alleged dulcy facility in in new mexico of these alleged and their drawings of it and i i did have a video film of, of it at one point from a security camera of these huge big uh alleged kind of almost like swimming pool type vats of liquid with <laughs> and they claimed at the time and i don't know how real this is but they claimed that floating in the liquid was body parts from uh from the mutilated cows that were you know gone and the aliens would literally just like go into the water or into the fluid absorb and excrete what they were doing as an eating kind of thing and then Hop, hop back out kind of thing i don't know how true any of that is you know there's no date on it other than i did at one point as i said have a video film of the tanks and of, of what looked like alien type beings in 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 tanks and stuff like that but which facility in new mexico i i hadn't heard this and i'm here so. dulce d-u-l-c-e oh, dulce oh yeah. okay yeah. and so the so they had alien i'll look for yeah yeah as i said there was a video film i had it in the 90s and i had it on a website and it was quite persuasive because i had the i managed to get hold of the video film uh approximately eight to ten years after i first got the documents that had the drawings of these these alien tanks and stuff and it would you know all this stuff was making the rounds uh i would say probably in 19 1989 it was it started coming out all the all this kind of stuff you don't see it much talked about nowadays but it was quite yeah it was quite prevalent way back in the uh, late 80s thank you 
again, yeah, thanks, Dennis. I can't confirm any of it, but when you see stories like that, and as I said, I got the video film, and then you read multiple books, you know, of hundreds of abductees saying that they, you know, they pick up this smell, you know, and you know, the, and you see like alleged uh, witness testimonies from autopsies and stuff, and they say that, that although they have a slit for a mouth, they don't have any mouth or any, you know, throat trachea kind of digestive system. Uh, it, it all starts to uh, piece together a little bit. It, you know, that presenter, he also said that he was able to um, uh, telepathically hear their thoughts or ask them questions and, and get responses. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, he brought up the notion of uh, this legendary uh, succubus, you know, the female that comes at night and, you know, attacks uh, male subjects. And I guess there's a male equivalent to that, too. But <clears throat> yeah, if you're interested, Don, you should read the book um, Passport to Mag Magonia by uh, Jacques Vallée. Uh, it's a classic because uh, he talks about stuff like that. And you can actually track or if you if you uh, if you read up on some of the early uh, fairy tales, you know, where you have uh, these little like, elf like creatures that abduct people, take them into the forest and sometimes leave a doppelganger or something in, in, in their stead and stuff. You can kind of track those back to possibly being very early abduct, abductee, you know, abduction kind of stories with little creatures. Yeah, this is fascinating. This stuff is all starting to come together. You know, it's all coming together. Yeah, um, it's a great book. Passports Magonia. Magnolia. Mag Magonia, sorry. All right, Magonia so, with a D. Uh, uh, Magonia, I think. M A G O N I A. Passport to Magonia. It's a classic by uh, Jacques Vallée. And of course, we all know that Jacques Vallée was, uh, you know, he was trained in CRV. Um, he also worked at SRI. You know, he's still involved in UFO research today, and he just brought out a brand new book called something something Trinity about a Trinity, uh, a, a, another Roswell type crash that he's uncovered that happened a few years, I think, before or after Roswell. Um, but yes, Jack Vallée's been very interested in, in this, and it's a very interesting book. It's, I think it's just been re-released because it's such a good classic. And there's one there's one place online I know that you can get a. a a special edition hardback signed Jacques Vallée copy for I think seventy seventy dollars, which is well worth it as well. <laughs> There's one Thank other point, I, yeah, I want <laughs> I want to make on this, and that is um, he was you know in this telepathic contact, and he asked them, "Are you doing this only with me?" And they said, "Oh no, uh, you know we we have a we we go all over, we're, we're all over the place, so." Um, that sort of left me with a feeling like, and I mentioned this in the meeting, like they're kind of farmers and we're the honeybees. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a pretty weird feeling. Um, don't no know wonder it's... they're stinky if they're going to everybody. You know, That's something they're... I've wondered about is, and I've wondered this for years is, well, you know, if this is actually happening, if the abductee thing is, is is a genuine phenomenon, I kind of think that it might be. I'm kind of wondering because I've never seen any of the abductees in their testimony describe any kind of uh, process where they go through some kind of cleaning process. I wonder, would the is there a possibility that they could give us viruses, or could we give them viruses in some way? Is there some kind of thing going on there that we don't you know that we're not aware about you're psychic but it's you know gooey icky stuff 
I mean, other people's stuff, it seems like they could easily pass it. Not necessarily physical yeah. virus, but... It's a, it's a very interesting crap. topic. You know, and, and with the... Uh, you know human and, and animal mutilations as well because uh i don't know if you know much about this don but there are quite a lot of reports about uh animal mutilations but there are also some pictures and some reports of human mutilations out there as well you know so you know there are humans with their like their their eyes cored out their tongue missing their wow. internal organs gone all that kind of stuff as well so that's why I say you have to be a bit careful if you are thinking of talking to some of, and contacting some of these things because we just do not know what's going on. Well, and look what's going on here. Look well, I think, as you said, they, they, they're looking at us, and I've had this in our V-sessions. They, they, they're treating us like we treat our animals, you know. Yeah. They're farming us like we farm. But with this thing that they can sort of like phase into our dimension, do yes. what they need to do, and then phase yep. out, that's the thing that really gets me. Yes, uh, and I've done quite a lot of RV sessions on it, and literally we were talking about this. I don't know if you were here in time uh, just before you come on. There's a video that CryptoViewing have just put out today called The Alien, and for the first time in three years on CryptoViewing, um, we had a, 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 a proper ET stroke UFO target that was set, and it was a, I think the feedback in the target was a, a, an image that was sent to Dick of what looks like a grey alien type thing with damage so it looks like there's a bullet hole in it or something so that was the target uh that we all worked and yeah we came up with some really interesting information on that uh, i i don't think it's public though i think it's only to pair members at the moment but i'm i might be able to get it put public at some point hmm. no i'd be interested in that certainly i mean i went into huge detail on it yeah i went into the internal systems of the life form wow backbone systems it was really weird because i was looking at the hands and i could i could see that and i and i drew drawings of this i could see that some of the uh some of the appendages had a uh, a joint system uh, uh, that could actually swivel 360 degrees on their on their joints so i was trying to draw this joint system that could swivel 360 degrees i was like i was getting a bit freaked out but i was like what the heck's going on here what am i drawing <laughs> So what are there's like body have no bones then is it like just like a gelatin or something uh if you bear with me a sec i'll see if i can pull up the picture um i did have it here a couple of days ago see that sounds like an interdimensional joint <laughs> he's yeah. in a couple dimensions doing that i think well you know a ball and socket joint with no tendons would do that i mean we're used to tendons but, but... what about the skin the skin's not changing. There's a couple dimensions of uh, a lot of degrees of freedom. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 The skin stays put and the joint was moving inside it or the skin. Yeah. Was... Just inside the skin. Yeah. Possibly. As the video is coming out today, I don't think they'll mind me sharing this quickly with you. So I'll share it quickly. Uh, let me move this out of the way. So this was one of my RV sessions on, on the project we did called the alien. I didn't, you know, I didn't notice, and and it's the first ET UFO thing that we've officially done in in crypto viewing in four years. Um, so I had a life form that was preserved, and then I went into sketching it, and I sketched this weird kind of creaturey thing. Um, this is the one where you're trying to get the swivel fingers. Oh yeah, yeah. Th this was it here. I was talking about these swiveling joints. So I was drawing its hand, and I was—I could see that these joints internally could swivel in a, in a weird way. 
And you got web webbing on the a little bit of webbing, yes, on the hands. Sorry? Oh, your sketches are getting pretty good. I mean, look at the detail in this. Yeah, that graphic artist guy, man. You're, you're, you're indicating multiple, uh, you know, movement directions and everything. Yeah, yeah. Tablets are good because they allow you to, you know, add, add a bit of color to it. And so, and that's the sketch I drew of the. It wasn't quite right though, and I made that in a note. It says not quite right. This is too human. It needs to feel slightly less human. I just couldn't get the the picture of it quite right. And then I was trying to do the the bone structure. I couldn't get the head quite right. Um, Did you feel bones in the fingers? Do you remember? Yes, I think there are bones in the fingers, but they were long, huge, huge big hands. You know, they literally got long, really long, kind of weird hand and finger things. Can, can I just ask you, when you're drawing this thing, are you like drawing a stroke and you think, no, that's not right, and erase it, and then draw another one, maybe a little bigger or a little rounder or whatever? You know, is I it, don't, it, no, not really, because you can see how many times I've gone over the lines there where I, you know, where I haven't got it quite right. I was trying to, and, and so in the end, all I did was write a note, write a note by the side of it, by the side of it, saying this isn't quite right. I know it's not quite right. Mm -hmm. And here as well, I said it's got to be thinner. All this doesn't feel quite right. It's a bit too, I don't know, a bit too hourglass. The creature was more thinner and it was more animal-like, bigger mm -hmm. eyes. So I wasn't quite getting it right because I only had a quick glimpse of it for a second um these are fabulous yeah and here as well like i'm talking about the torso here and i say it's thin bony a different cavity and they have a fill different organs and the organs are triangular arranged they've got three organs but they're arranged in a triangular configuration and i said they hear the spine's different it's twisted strangely connected to the head area um not as full range of movements as we have as humans so I was going off on all these kind of weird kind of stuff on this alien type creature that you'll you'll see in in this in this video. Well, you may see in the video that's just come out. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's un Fingernails you know, it's look wicked, Daz. They're scary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as Ingo says in his in his things, you know, there some of these creatures are scary. Some of the things they're doing are are scary. You know, we're not. I, I don't think we should tank, paint it all that way. Uh, because there are some encounters from people that are spiritual and are seen, do seem to be beneficial. It seems to be like a, a, a scale of things that's going on. You know, there's some that got good intentions, some that got bad. But, you know, if you're going out there liking the CE5 stuff and just throwing your consciousness out there to the wind, you don't know who you're going to be contacting, to be honest. To, yeah. yeah. Oh, let me add, add some more okay. people in. So, did yes. anyone add their hand up? I thought I saw someone with their hand up just now. Was it Matt? Is, is he not want to ask the question anymore? Uh, we can't hear you, Matt, for some reason. No, definitely we can't hear you still. Your headphone, you might your your setting might be computer sound, and you've got headphones on that. Um, you have to change your input in the yeah. setting, maybe. While he's doing that, does anyone else uh, want to ask anything or share anything? I have a question because I thought it was open chat. I've been talking. We're supposed to raise our hands to talk. Is that how? That's okay. It's you know. <laughs> I'm sorry if I've been rude. No, you just go for it. I'm a mute now anyway. 
Okay, does Matt's I, joining. Does I have a question? I did, yeah, write go for the, it. I did write it in the chat, but you probably missed it. It's going back to the ideograms. When you had your mushroom session, I've got another question about that as well. But when you had your mushroom um, session, did your ideogram have any um, similarities to the mushroom? Because you Let were saying me... that sometimes the ideogram has the clues, it has um, graphic clues or pictorial clues of. I'll just see if I can pick it up. Um, oh, that'd be great. August, September news. Is this it? Because to be honest, I, I don't remember off the top of my head because you know, I'm doing. Uh, okay, yeah, here it is. I'm doing so many that I forget what I've done, to be honest. Okay, okay so let's uh, share the screen here. Okay, can you see that okay then? Oh, right, yes. Okay, so yeah, this is my session. So this was done in uh, the end of August, looking at September from the news, which is said there at the top. Um, and what I usually do first is I usually just, I don't have a set idea of what I'm looking at first. I literally just let let myself do a couple of ideograms just to see what turns up. And this is an ideogram, which is, yeah, it's got no real defined shape. Uh, so for me, it just, it's just like energy. And that's what it was showing me, that wild, uh, open, psychic energy, which I AOL as a storm at that point. I felt it was large over water and, and over land. And then there was a huge cloud, a ring of white, fluffy, angry, grey rising clouds, uh, miles wide. And of course, that gave me the AOL of an A-bomb at that stage. But, you know, I'm lucky I could put that to one side. So this ideogram here, again, it's just more energy in, in structure. So it's cyclic, energetic, moving, rotating vortex of energy above land, very high affecting both up and down. AOL of USA here. I think that came from the A-bomb, to be honest. Um, and then, you know, it expands. So there's an ideogram here that moves into a sketch of what I was trying to see. And then I wrote here on the next page, I have to sketch this to try to get rid of it because I just couldn't get the image of it out of my head. So I, you know, literally sketch it to make it go away kind of thing. And then there's more data, and I think I might have done some more sketches later on. I can't remember. Maybe I didn't on this one. No, no, because this might have been my second session, actually. No, that was my first session. And then so that's when I took a, a two-day break, I think. Let's see if this comes up. Yes, because this, yeah, this is what I did two days later. I came back two, three days later, I think, right on the end of the month. Because uh, I thought I'd try to get rid of it. Uh, but it came back again instantly, you know, lot, lots of energy. Again, another ideogram here, which is just like lots of movement and energy. And it's got here an explosive release, lots of impact. Uh, same ideogram there coming downwards with lots of, you know, lots of release of energy. Uh, which then ends up me doing, doing these sketches of, of like a mushroom cloud type event. Yeah, so that's it, really. Yeah, so my 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 ideograms were all look. It looks like all energy based. I mean, you, you can tell you're an artist. Wow. Um, my sec my second question is, when you um, were tasked with this, were you given the year September the two thousand twenty one? To be honest, or... we're not really given it. I mean, we are given a task, but all we're given is a note in in an email that says, "Don't forget, you've got to do your news predicts for 
next month. So there, all oh, right. Okay. I I don't think there's a there. I don't think there's a tasking number or anything. I literally just make it up, and I end up using the the date of the day I do the RV on. So uh, on the last one I did there was the thirty first of the ninth. So my number for it for it would have been just thirty one oh nine. All right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, did you task yourself with this? With this? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Niam's here as well. He does. He does work quick to view. Okay. Uh, how do you task yours, Niam? Do you just make up a, a number for the for your tasking number for it? Yeah. Yeah. Depending on like sometimes I'll do some ERV for that. I'll just just set my intention to like major news events. But when I do like a whole paper session, I'll just use a random number generator yeah. and write write myself a tasking like you know we'll perceive the top news events of of september or whatever like that yeah, yeah. right um Niam, when you say for september um is it a possibility that it it, it could take you to september 2022 or 2025 this is why i asked um by giving it by writing the date the year as well it focuses your subconscious on the actual year. Because what Daz did with the mushroom, if there wasn't a year, is there a possibility that this could happen next year, September? It's just a hypothetical. Because when I saw your mushroom, Daz, a couple of weeks ago, somebody here sent it to me, messaged it to me. My first thought was, holy crap, we're going to have another Chernobyl. Um, And then we started having the volcanoes. Hypothetical question, what if there wasn't a volcanic eruption in the Canary Islands, but all four of you drew a mushroom? What would you have said for September? What how would you have what would you have thought? I would have I would have personally classed it as a miss. Um but I know that Dick, I don't know if Niam does as well. Um Dick allows himself several weeks before after the event because you know dick's had the uh the uh the mindset that when you're doing rv and especially when you're looking forwards uh the rv process doesn't know when one day week month ends you know so you have to allow yourself a little bit of leeway there i'm a bit more straight you know once the once the 30 day window or 31 day window's over with i'm like i cut it off and say right that's it you know if anything happens i would have been off target right okay yeah yeah i I, I put the year. I do. I do write the year when I do the tasking. Yeah. But I'm the same. I would say it's a miss if if it's not within the, the month. And if okay. something does happen that I saw, you know, whatever, it'll be interesting. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. interesting to look at. But you know, I, I would not count it as a hit, really. Okay. Thank you. Uh, hey, Naya, I got a question. You said you do a little bit of ERV before you do uh, your session. Can you describe what that process is? Yeah, I'll just, um, I, I sometimes I wear the, I have like the, got one of these uh, mindfold uh, thingies. <laughs> so sometimes I'll put that on and uh, put on the theta tones and I'll just, sit back and let the images start coming and uh depending on how strong they are like sometimes i'll see something really clearly i'll actually like use that as the anchor point and then start probing and collecting more data like kind of like transition it into a paper session sometimes are you recording this in like a voice recorder or how are you remembering these things 
Oh, I know. I just have my um, I'll have my paper or my tablet there. So after I see something, I'll kind of take it off and sketch it out, and then go have to go back down into it again. It sometimes uh, I'll try and remember a couple. Like I'll see a couple images, and I'll try and remember like the last three, and then draw them all out at once just to kind of like stay in the flow. Um, but yeah, I've had some I've had some really good success doing it that way. But right, cool. I'd say my my best successes are doing like a, a straightforward paper session. Um, that's when I've had the most consistent hits. You know. Okay. Thank you. Hey Matt, do you want to try asking or sharing your your stuff with us again? I'll try. Thanks. Is it working now? Yeah, we can hear you fine. Yep. Yeah. Thank God. I've tried to ask so many questions this evening. <laughs> I just realized my microphone was clearly not working. Um, if I can ask quickly about ideograms again, I know we've gone through it a lot. Um, but when I've now I've subscribed to crypto viewing since a few months ago, and I've gone through like a lot of the sessions. When you were talking about your ideograms, it seems as though like you combine a lot into one. Have you did you always do that? because like as someone who's new I, i'm drawing like lots uh, you know and I, I i don't know when i saw your sessions it was like it's this this continuous whirl and does it does the whole kind of initial gestalt or, or does that initial kind of thing come into your mind as your pen as the pen doesn't leave the paper if that makes any sense yes but you have to bear in mind as well that i've been doing it 24 yeah. years so uh so what i do now is not what i was doing when i was learning um it ideograms because it's a personal language for each of us they they, they change over time and they change constantly and you know as i'm doing you know like the ones i just showed just happen to be like uh motion motion and energy ones so that they all look like they have that kind of weird kind of feeling about them i'm just gonna see if i can put up a, a more modern one here um uh i don't know if i got any here actually uh what month are we in now we're in october aren't we <laughs> yeah, yeah just... let me see if i can find something for april april news uh, or something to see if i got i'm just trying to see if i got some different ones to show you really um but for me yeah they've changed over time and I, you know, I kind of, well, I can show you this one here, actually. Uh, I kind of know what mine mean to me as a person. So if I share the screen here. Um, so this was looking at, as it's got a key at the top here. Yeah. Uh, move to describe the top global news of May. And, you know, I've got my, my coordinate there, 3009. And it goes down into this shape. That's two ideograms there. Uh, in one so i but i know what they are i know that this loop with a dang for me in, usually involves a life form right. and this weird motion there would usually involve some kind of because it's on top of a life form it's usually some kind of energy kind of motion kind of feeling to do with that life form so yeah motion and energy and and their emotional kind of feelings and pattern so do they all come in at once or does your just does your hand just not leave the pen and paper uh, that was all one continuous line. That whole thing there is all one line. Look, nothing, nothing. The pen hasn't left the paper once. Okay. Uh, um, that one's energy there again. 
uh, this is look at this goes slightly different. You see here because when I start looking at the cryptos uh, and cryptocurrencies, my ideograms automatically change and they don't take the form of structures, land, or anything like that anymore. The moment I know I'm doing a crypto, the ideograms morph and then they try to mimic how the market flow of that crypto is going to go over the next month. Um, so they change again. And that's what I'm saying. Ideograms change all the time. And this ideogram here, that this is I've never done an ideogram like this in my life. And the pen hadn't left the paper once. And it's just got these really wild up and down swing movements. Really, and, you know, I transcode this as, you know, some really energetic, strong moves swaying both up and down for Bitcoin in May 2021. Um... Yeah, I mean, and this one here, the financial news, this was even weirder. I've never done anything like this before. This looks like a, it might be one of my life form targets, but then I had this, and my pen did obviously leave the paper at that point, and I did this, uh, which made me think instantly, oh, well, this is trying, trying to tell me it's the dollar and it's going downwards. So it's a bit like, is for me, it's half visual, I would say, and half um, feeling. But over a long period of time, and it changed, it changed over 24 years. When I first started doing this, it was just single ideograms or, or one big multiple one, which I subdivided in and then decoded. But we're all different. We all do it slightly differently, so bear that in mind as well. You know, what, what I do or what someone else does might not be right for you, you know, because it's an individual language that you're trying to develop between... Uh, the internal part of you and the external at the, at the target to communicate. Um, additionally, whilst you were talking about uh, the future uh, predictions, um, when you first started doing that with the crypto viewing team, was there like, did they give you an, a number or is it always okay? Every month we ask you to look forward. Um, I suppose I'm more interested in the tasking. Like was there initially a kind of, a target which was which specifically stated the viewer will go forward one month and look back at the major new news events no no it's always been it's always been uh i think just just look at the news and tell us what what you get and all four of us because m- myself's doing it niam's doing it dick's doing it and edward's doing it and the uh the host dennis he also does it on the side but he doesn't present his stuff much because yeah. you know he's in he's in training uh, all five of us use a complete different approach and we all look at different things, which can be confusing at times. And it might be best if we all came to some kind of consensus and said, each month we're all going to look at crypto news. We're all going to look at Bitcoin news. We're all going to look at top you know, news of this thing. And, you know, So then we have a bit more of a consensus that we can look back on. But no, at the moment, it's all just or, go off and do your own thing. Or if in general, just if the target was set up like the same way as though... It would be like, for example, you say that Dick will say, well, it could be, you know, three weeks later than the month he was looking at or something like this. Yeah. But maybe it would, I don't know. And, and then this, of course, brings up loads of other questions. Like, do you guys on the team have questions, like have conversations about what is time, for example? Like, what is your definition of time? Why is it relative? Why does it change based on force and things like this? And or what is your actual definition of what time is? And therefore, yeah, we we have had those chats uh, back through the archives. Not not as many as we should have, but we have had them because none of us, none of us really know. And I think, to be honest, because we're all we all come from different schools and different schools of thought on it. I think we've probably all got different opinions on it. And sometimes we've probably had slightly heated arguments about some of this as well, because you know we are we are all different. Okay. 
I do, to be honest, you know, I've been doing this twenty four years, uh, and you, uh, I think you can, if you if you ask Joe or if you ask Paul or anyone, the people involved, Lynn or anyone, we, you know, we we know we know nothing about what we're doing. We're all we're all like, you know, we're young. You know, I've been doing it twenty four years, but I still class myself as a student. This every time I do a goddamn remote viewing session, I'm learning something new. I'm, you know, an ideogram comes out, and you're like where'd that come from what does that mean or a word you get a word that you don't use in normal language you think to yourself where did that come from and you know like with the mushroom cloud thing when we all got the mushroom cloud together that was i, I just wish we had the camera on but we didn't because i was literally there going to the tonight on that i was going oh, i'm not going to present my information this week i did two sessions and they're rubbish all i kept getting was this goddamn mushroom cloud and everyone's everyone's mouth literally went for like five seconds and they were all like oh my god we got mushroom clouds as well and it's just like everyone's like panicking going oh my god we all got mushroom cloud so even for even you know after 25 20, nearly 24 25 years it, it stangs me every time we do this it's it's amazing how it keeps uh changing and morphing uh, as, as i said though i think it's a bit of a joker thing going on there i think uh it's almost like the rv process to me is a, is a, is alive and kicking and it, it likes to when, when you think you've got it down pat it likes to kick you kick you in the ass and say no try again and i'm sorry i'm going on a bit here now um there's there's a lot of questions i would like to know about how you guys as more advanced remote viewers talk about the practice of doing it for example edward produced like a lot of content about his kind of fixation with trying to be able to tap into a target for a very long period of time or having conversations with paul about how to get through the linen or the threshold of awareness and things like this. I, I was wondering like when that conversation came up, like has ever anyone tried microdosing, for example? That a lot of people say, for example, certain substances will change your conscious awareness, but I wouldn't say that, you know, taking DNT or something would be great for remote viewing, but has anyone ever tried like microdosing, let's say, or to try or, or, or things like that there's yeah countless questions i have to, to ask i haven't i've tried rv drunk and i did quite well on vodka <laughs> i haven't but i've heard people discuss it matt so the answer would be yes people have tried that and i can't speak to their results but there are people that i don't know niam have you if you have you tried taking any drugs with rv uh, I've, I've done mushrooms, but not while RVing or anything like that. No. <laughs> no. I've got a, a friend who did a session on mushrooms. Um, uh, and it kind of made the RV data just like mushrooms make real life. It just made it more engaging and exciting. So it led to <laughs> undeclared AI. Um, I had a great time, yeah. but it didn't make me like magically immune from AOL. Hence why I kind of asked, like, not drunk, not fully on drugs, just the micros. I thought a, if you would go to a certain there, limit, then it would ruin things. There is a study a on this. I think it was forced choice site. It wasn't, like, free response RV, but they got, like, shrooms and weed and a control group, and they found that, like, the weed group did slightly worse and the shrooms group did slightly better. But it was it basically like people ask this on the subreddit about every month. Someone comes on and says, like, "Can oh, I take loads of DMT?" In? And I'll be like, "Man, it's like no, no. you can't. No. You have to practice. Stop trying to cheat by taking mushrooms." <laughs> there's a there's an interesting book by um, Andrea Puharich. He did a he did a bunch of stuff with uh, Yuri Geller, but 
in this book, he it's called Beyond Telepathy. And he talks about not psilocybin mushroom, but a different mushroom, the Amanita muscaria mushroom. And he says that that does, you know, ha- increase psiability. And there's actually some video somewhere on YouTube where they're actually doing trials. Like he's doing the whole Zenner, hidden Zenner card thing with people on mushrooms. So you oh, can look cool. that one up. I don't even know if that one grows here. That's a rare one. Yeah. yeah. I've seen that one. That was on one step beyond me. And uh, it was like John Newland, the host was uh, under the like magic mushroom or something like that. And he was able to draw, you know, hidden photos. This was actually, I guess, the very first remote viewing I ever saw. And that was in 1957 or something like that, or maybe early 60s. But uh, Andre Puharik was the uh, was the guy. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I got a talking about ideograms. I got this. This is a picture. I'll just share this for a second. This was um, a session that I did. Um, it was the death of Princess Diana. And um, shit, one second. Like speaking of how ideograms can like change and kind of like develop uh, over time, it's like you never really know how it's going to come out. And and a part of it, I think, is like the more you do, it's like the more you're going to get familiar, and the more types of targets you're exposed to, you kind of like surprise yourself, like oh wow, I you know what was that? So this was a program I did. Um, you could see it's like a life, you know, the life ideogram and then literally like a, a vehicle. <laughs> so, you know, I think the ideogram can pretty much do anything, you know, it can represent anything. It's just how flexible are you with it? You know, getting familiar with kind of like how, it, how it's produced. You can get a certain control over it, but it definitely develops over time. Like there was definitely a point in my remote viewing where I began to notice like, oh, this symbol, this ideogram always keeps popping up or, you know, whereas it wasn't like that uh, prior to that point. So it's really just like self, self-discovery. You just keep plugging away at it. Is that okay, Matt? Does that answer all your questions for now? Yeah, as always, I could probably go on all night, but yeah, that's, that's fine. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Uh, Sasha, you've had your hand up. Would you like to go ahead? Yes, hello. Uh, sorry, I don't have my webcam set up today, so it's just a black box. Um, I just wanted to, I guess, address two things, ask about two things. So one was this idea of the words that pop up that are outside of your own kind of personal lexicon, right? I really think that that suggests something interesting. And I would like to see more people put their thoughts forward on, on what does that tell us, right? If, if the mechanism is using words you're not familiar with, then where is it getting the lexicon that is presenting to you, right? Um, it brings me back to, I don't know if I mentioned this in the Discord chat or if it was on one of the dad's chats, um, but the idea that there are some coma victims who wake up and they speak a different language um, or they speak with an accent. And 
I've poured through a few of these articles and what I found is most often somewhere in the article you'll find reference to one of the nurses that was attending them spoke that language, right? So there was, I think it was a British guy who woke up speaking Mandarin and it turns out one of his nurses uh, spoke man Mandarin. And so I'm wondering if, if there's not a parallel here, if there's not a, a bit of a relationship there where you're not accessing information that's stored in your own memory, but you're accessing information that is most useful for you in the moment. And if we can prove that in any way uh, through remote viewing or through these, uh, these coma victims who wake up speaking different languages, then I think that might help in other ways as well. Like I think it's not just relevant to remote viewing. I think it has broader relevance. Um, yeah, Tamara? Well, I'm thinking, and then let me check with Don. Didn't um, Tom bring up in the phonetics in the stage seven that some of it was like, or was that another conference I was in recently? Didn't uh, that no. up that same idea that, that lexicon things that weren't uh, really part of his normal vocabulary? Well, it, his talk was uh, that one, what was the uh, the phonetics thing? That was where you were naming the target and you were getting phonetics that you would assemble into the name. But I think what Sasha is talking about is sort of like what a lot of remote viewers, including myself, where you just get a word you don't ever... I, mean, I understood you know. what she was saying, but somebody brought it up in a conference recently. I thought it was Tom, um, but I guess not if you don't remember it from him bringing it up. But I know yeah. Anyway, Sasha, yes, I mean, I think there's a lot of validity in what you just said. Because I know I've had a Turkish word with Turkish spelling come through. I don't speak Turkish. I have no relationship with Turkish. Um, and so, yeah, so I think it, it might be interesting because I think if we could figure out what's happening there and maybe ways of improving it through remote viewing practice and protocols, um, it would be interesting to use it as a method for learning other languages, right? More easily and faster. So it, it would be something that might be applicable as a, as a practical um, use for the general public that might get them more interested in remote viewing. I don't know, but that's just something I want to throw out there. And the other thing was about time. Um, and this is more for you, Des, because you were saying you've spoken uh, with these more experienced remote viewers about time and what it is and how it works. And I'm wondering if you've come across the, the research on time viscosity. There was a Russian researcher who was experimenting with pendulums and energy and temperature and time of year. And he, he discovered, um, it, well, he developed his own theory that time actually has a viscosity and you can affect its viscosity by altering the energy levels uh, around what it is you're trying to warp. And so he was able to influence how quickly or slowly time was passing around his pendulums based on, uh, I think he was using things like dry ice to cool it down or things like that. Anyway, I'm just wondering if, if that's something that's ever come up um, amongst the remote viewers. Uh, not that I'm aware of, but I'd, yeah, if you've got a link to that article, you could chat me at some point. I'd like to, to read that. That sounds interesting. Um, okay. Sasha, can I ask, how is that different to like, general relativity like in the sense that time changes based on the forces acting on an object. Like, I, I don't understand how that's any different. Because I think with general relativity, you have to accept that space and time are woven together as a fabric. And 
so what you're essentially saying is something that's conceptual is somehow woven into something that's tangible and and there's no evidence anywhere that that's actually possible so you're just taking on faith that space-time can actually exist and act the way it does whereas i think with the viscosity of time having to do with energy you're not asking time itself to be woven in with space you're just treating it alone so there are fewer assumptions right that's if you subscribe to the idea that space-time is a fabric um Einstein's theory is correct. Have you ever read Dan Winter's work? Dan Winter has a YouTube channel, actually, with a lot of lectures and stuff on. A little bit of it, but I, I was put off by, I, I, I don't know, I don't want to, I don't want to be rude, but I was put off by his use of words that I think are inaccurate or wrong. And I think he uses them in an attempt to sound more complicated, more sophisticated, less accessible, so that he sounds really advanced and magical and people can't quite understand, but they really believe. And that kind of put me off. You know, he was talking about phase conjugates of the mercury in the, in the pyramid shape for meditation. And I, and I, I don't know, I have problems with that. Um, but maybe I'm just not being fair to him. Maybe I should dig deeper into his work. Uh, his whole concept is essentially that it's ether physics and that everything is charge, charge rotates. And as it rotates, it has a period that is effectively time. So as a force acts on that charge or anything, the rotation is slower or faster. Hence why it becomes, it changes the way it does. Um, Yeah, that's interesting. I think that the subjectivity of time passing, that's the hard part to fit into those theories that are more tangible, that are saying, you know, that it's electric charge, then you say, okay, well, then how is it that subjectivity comes into it? Um, but I will, I will look, I will look into his work again. Yeah. There's a, there's a book, uh, if you can find it, I, I paid like $80 for it. It's like really tiny book, but it's called the Phoenix Oracle by Dr. Richard Ireland. He was, uh, he was a really amazing psychic and he talks about some of his experiences in there and he talks about i can't remember which where he went but he went to another country which spoke a foreign language that he didn't know and he spontaneously could start speak he started speaking that language while he was there for a short period of time and then as he left it kind of like wore away so i'm sure there's nothing to it you know i'm sure if we really understand how the whole non-local information works I'm sure it would be possible to learn any language, kind of like in the matrix, like when they just download something to your brain and you just kind of know it right away. Yes. I'm sure that's probably what, what it could look like, you know, sometime in the future. And that's the Phoenix Oracle by Richard Ireland. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Thank you. There's also, I don't know, I may as well throw it out there. Um, have you ever read the Wes Penra papers? Like seven. Sorry, say uh, that again. The which ones? Where's Penra? He has, he's produced I don't know, seven different papers, about 700 pages long. They go into a lot of uh, things, which I guess people in this group might find interesting. But part of that, he talks about regression therapy and specifically my, Dr. Michael Newton, I think is the name, where um, he was an atheist psychiatrist who used to use hypnotherapy to try to take patients back into a point of life of trauma to try to heal them. And then what he found was that people kept referring back to this void or this place. 
um, that happened before their life. And he found that around about 7,000 of his patients would actually go back to their and then there was this council um, that would review their life and then eventually be reincarnated. So sometimes I think that, you know, if you talk about things like this, it could be that the person has maybe already been to that place. You know, maybe they've learned that other language in a previous life and it's all coming back or something like this. It's yes. possible. Yeah. That, that, Th- might that be would be, it would be a good reason to master as much as you can in this lifetime so that you can be born a prodigy <laughs> in the next. <laughs> Thanks for that, Sasha. That's great stuff. Don, you you have another thing you want to share or ask? Uh, yeah, this is uh, getting back to CRV, okay? Um, all right, here you go. Stage four, that's the matrix, right? All right. Seems like it's a huge AOL generator. What am I doing wrong with it? I can have a beautiful session up to that, go into stage four, and man, I'm making up stuff all over the place. Uh, really? As you progress through the session, the AOL should be getting less and less on, on I average. know. So that indicates to me I must be using the tool wrong. So, you know. I don't know. Ma- it'd be, I'd have to see. I'd have to see what you were doing there, really. Um yeah, interesting. I don't know why that might happen. Um, All right. Hmm. Now, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, one of the, it's like coming from S3. So let's say you just did some sketches in S3. Um, the way that I found that helped me kind of get S4 better was I would like, let's say you label a sketch, you know, X. Uh, and now you're doing your S4, um, starting in the, in the sensories column, what I find is that, let's say you say something's red, blue, green, uh, and then you move over and you say, uh, you know, as a concept of religious or something like that. It's almost like whatever you probed last, uh, the next probe is usually, for me at least, is usually associated to the last data point. Uh, for a while, it was like, I was kind of, uh, it was like really disjointed. It was like every time I went for a probe, I was just kind of pulling something out of my ass, so to speak. You know what I mean? Right, so right. Like That's this is where I think I'm at. Yeah. yeah. So you're yeah, getting yeah, more yeah. clumps of so data like, now. Yeah, it's, I think it's like, string. it's like they're strung together. Um, once you set your intention on something, it's kind of like feeding you a data stream uh, as you work through the columns, usually they'll be asso- it'll be like associated to the last thing you uh, you got. So if you got something in the intangibles column and now you move over to uh, the sensories, usually that sensory is associated to that last data point. That's how I find it working with me. So okay. it took a while to kind of yeah, kind of like consciously understand uh, how the data was coming coming in. Yeah. All right. But I, I definitely know what you mean by it can be kind of like it could be AOLs if you're not kind of like it, if you don't know what what you're probing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It it's it can be a springboard for a you know just you know wild imagination. Don, are you keying yourself, or are you starting off with you know when you in the stage four matrix start off in, with like sensory stuff like? You know, what does it take? You know, I know you've done it in stage two, but like, 
your hair. So what does it taste like? What does it smell like? And then it should like give you the clusters that you put in. No. So start Maybe. off small. Start off with the sensory stuff that you've already done. So ask yourself questions again, you know, and write the question in brackets or something so you know what you're asking. You know, uh, I'm in stage four. Okay, I've got some great sketches in stage three. I'm here again. What does it taste like? So you're almost like restarting the stage two thing, but then that kicks the higher things because all the words come in clusters, like Niam said. I usually get in like five or six word clusters, so it'd be like, oh, it's blue, it's hard, it's irregular, and then I'll get an intangible on the end of it, and I'll and I'll go over here and write the intangible. Okay, all right. I think you sort of like got it right there because I'm just, I thought it was like a free form thing, anything goes, you know. Always was... start, yeah, always start in the stage two stuff to kick it off. Okay, all right. Thank you. That's yeah, perfect. Yeah. Thank you. Excellent. Well, we're coming up on two hours now, guys. Is, is there any last questions or anything anyone wants to share before we ring this one up for the day? No. Excellent. Well, that's it then. Well, thank you everyone for sharing such great stuff this week. It's been great. Hopefully we'll have something for you next week. I'll see if I can get a guest on. Um, if you've got any suggestions, feel free to do those as well. Send me the suggestions. I'll put the details that we wrote down here about setting up a, a predictive project for next month uh, that we'll go through as well. So we'll do that as a group and we'll, I'll get all that up on Facebook uh, and we'll take it from there. We'll see what's going to happen next week. Maybe even get Henny if she's still here to talk about her new project she put online today Ooh. Uh, be good cool. oh. her moon <laughs> <laughs> if she's happy to talk a bit about that next week because i saw that pop online today that looks quite good as well the uh the apollo stuff yeah thank you <laughs> <Very Excellent>. nice. <laughs> so we'll try to do that and we'll see what happens next week then guys all right thank you Daz. Daz. Yeah, thank you thanks for sharing everyone it's been great and i'll see you next week Good night, everybody. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Signal Line, a remote viewing podcast. Don't forget to check out remoteviewed.com for remote viewing resources or our videos on YouTube under Remote Viewed.